This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, this week's podcast, I really, really enjoyed. Two guests this week, two terrific guests. Megan McPeak is a play-by-play broadcaster for the Capital City Go-Go. That is the G League affiliate for the Washington Wizards. In October 2018, Megan became the first female play-by-play broadcaster in 30 years to call an NBA game. That was the Wizards against the Pistons. Megan McPeak also calls the Washington Mystics for monumental sports and entertainment. She was also the first female play-by-play broadcaster in the National Basketball League of Canada. She is joined by Tiffany Green, who is a play-by-play commentator for ESPN. She covers a multitude of sports for that network, including basketball, football, softball, and volleyball. Tiffany Green is the first African-American woman to serve as a play-by-play commentator for college football on a major network. And I... um, absolutely enjoyed talking to Megan and Tiffany who are true pioneers when it comes to women of color calling games and that's the key here they are play-by-play broadcasters and um, and what they are doing now I think is going to be incredible for those that are coming behind them and I think this is a conversation about many many different things that you're going to enjoy so coming up Megan McPeak and Tiffany Green. All right, as I stated in the intro, um, very excited to have these two guests on the Sports Media Podcast. We'll give a little bit, a little bit of bio to start. Megan McPeak is a play-by-play broadcaster for the Capital City Go-Go. That is the G League affiliate for the Washington Wizards. In October 2018, she became the first female play-by-play broadcaster in 30 years call an NBA game, calling the Wizards and Pistons during the preseason for Monumental Sports Network, among other firsts for Megan. She was the first female play-by-play broadcaster in the National Basketball League of Canada. Tiffany Green is a play-by-play commentator for ESPN. She covers a multitude of sports for that network, including basketball, football, softball, and volleyball. In terms of being first, Tiffany Green is the first African-American woman to serve as a play-by-play commentator for college football on a major network. Um, I've obviously interviewed many, many people on this podcast, but it is very rare for me to talk to people who are pioneering in their field, and that is what Megan McPeak and Tiffany Green are. Megan and Tiffany, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm delighted to be here. I need that intro all the time, by the way. I think I need to walk around with Richard just introducing me to every single room I walk into. <laughs> and, le- and, le- and let me say this, uh, that's 10 bucks from each of you every time it's used on your, uh, in, your, in, your, in your world. So I can collect some money of this uh, as well. We'll all make some money on, uh, on our interest. <laughs> Tiffany, I will start with you. Um, and it'll be the same question for you, Megan, but we'll start with you, Tiffany. Why do you love doing play-by-play? I think just being able to be the voice carrying the broadcast and knowing that 
you know, when you have that moment to have that, what could be a legendary call or that game winning moment, um, you want to be that soundtrack uh, for that game, for that sport, for those two teams. Um, it just, I, I like being in control <laughs> in my personal life and uh, that carries over into my professional life as well. Um, so it's just nice to kind of guide through. And I also believe in not being, uh, I like to be a team player, right? So I like to play my role really well, but I enjoy sitting next to individuals who have played the game, who have coached the game and, and, it, and just setting them up uh, so that, you know, I can help them shine in any way possible. So I'm, I'm glad to play my role. Okay. Megan, for you, same exact question. Why do you love doing play by play? Um, funny enough, it's, you know, piggybacking off what Tiffany said, I too like to have control in my life. (laughs) Um, and it carries over like Tiffany to my professional side of things too. And I think for me, um, it comes back to being a former point guard, um, and being able to control the floor and now being the point guard in the broadcast, being able to, um, deliver and set up my broadcast partner and as well tell the story the way the cameras are showing the story through the lens coming across the television set to viewers. I like telling that story um, and being able to be part of what the players are telling the story as as well too on the floor. So um, just being able to do that is, an absolute blast, Megan. I'm going to stick with you. How would if uh, if I have not heard your play-by-play uh, as a viewer or listener? How would you describe your play-by-play style? Probably different than most people would be used to, um, because I played. I would typically be sitting alongside Tiffany doing a game as a former player, and originally that is what I actually wanted to get into. I wanted to. Funny enough, um, I wanted to be the Canadian Doris Burke. And I originally did start out that way. Um, While I was playing in college, I would be the analyst for the men's game um, after my game. So I have that experience of being able to analyze it and break it down. So I include that in the way I call games. Um, and I'll, I'll do the traditional, you know, call and, and set up my partner. And then once they're done their thought, um, if I have something to add, or if I saw something different than what they saw, I may add that as well too. So I, I wear not only the play-by-play hat when I call games, but I also kind of give my own opinion and my own analysis because I have the playing experience, um, and my producer's have empowered me to give my experience and what I'm seeing. Um, so that's, that's kind of the way I call games and, and it's, it's allowed me to be successful to this point in my career. And I hope it continues to allow me to be successful. No, I love that. The Canadian Doris Burke. Um, that's might have to steal that down the road. Um, same for you, Tiffany. How would you, if again, if someone has not heard your uh, game call, how would you describe your play by play style? Youthful, fun, informative, 
I'm a mother, so I probably come with some references there, but pop culture as well. So I'm listening to a lot of what the kids are listening to these days. And if I see something that's nice and someone's silky down the lane and they came through drip and drip, drip, like, let's use it. Um, I want you to feel like uh, you're having a good time and you're talking with your homegirl. Uh, and I think before, when I started out, I was trying to kind of be straight-laced and, and just kind of down the middle. And I feel like I've departed from that over the last several years because I was just like, my husband would tell me, he's just like, just be you. And everyone enjoyed the interaction personally, but I didn't always carry that over in a broadcast. And then finally I gave myself permission to just call a game the way that I would want to hear it or how I would talk about it with my friends. And to me, that's what helps uh, to, to separate. Tiffany uh, and Megan, I'm going to get to your professional journeys in a second. I want you to actually go as long as you wish, but um, I want to get to this now. At the top um, in the intro, I mentioned that um, there's a lot of firsts with both of you, uh, Tiffany. For you, first African-American woman to serve as a play-by-play commentator for college football on a major uh, network. And I wonder if, um, do you, Tiffany, do you because you are the first of of something, um, do you feel do you feel pressure uh, in that um, there's nobody who is sort of before you, at least in in terms of being an African American woman doing what you have done in major college football? I would be lying if I said I didn't. Uh, of course I do. Uh, and I feel like a lot of eyes are on me, and and perhaps. You know, I think maybe some people are looking in with more pride, but it's the pressure that I put on myself um, to try to make them proud and to try to walk in these shoes uh, knowing that I am the first. And, you know, I watched women like Robin Roberts, you know, growing up, and and I know she did play-by-play more so for basketball, but, I mean, she was – to me, courageous. She was smooth. She's, you know, so good at what she does. And I was just like, okay, like, I'm just trying to breathe a scent of her air, you know, like, I'm just trying to be a, a, a portion of that. And so I, I know that in my first season of calling football, I was nervous as hell. Woo! Because <laughs> I felt like so many eyes were on me and everything that I said and was I going to be you know, criticized or, you know, a microscope was going to be on me if I said this or that. And what I found was after just about every game, whether it was through email or social media or running into people, it was, I'm so proud of you. Like, wow, like, just thank you for what you're doing. Like, this, this means a lot. Like, keep it up. And I think that helped me to, you know, change my focus um, from the pressure that I put on myself to, you know, walking, and I don't believe in pride too much, but, but proudly standing uh, in those shoes um, as the first. Megan, can you relate to what Tiffany said, and, and if so, how? Um, I, I most definitely can. Um, being, you know, for me it's interesting because when you see me, people automatically just assume I am a woman of color, which I am, but I'm actually an interracial woman of color. Um, So I'm mixed race. So when Tiffany talks about 
you know, the pressure, I 100% can understand where she's coming from. Um, and I don't know, you know, I don't want to speak for her, but I, I feel like she may agree with me on this point that being a woman in this business is hard enough because you have the pressure and you feel the pressure of being a woman and having to be perfect every single call. But then you add in the fact that we're also women of color. Um, it almost makes it seem like our margin of error is even more narrow. Um, and it's funny. And I, I, I'll be honest, I don't know, Tiffany, if you remember this, but I actually emailed Tiffany in 2015 um, to connect with her and get advice being a woman that does play by play, but also being a woman of color that does it. Um, and she was gracious enough to converse with me. And um, so for this moment for me is, is kind of coming full circle that a woman I looked up to, I was able to connect with and get life advice and, and career advice from. And I'm now able to be alongside her doing this podcast with you, um, Richard, so thank you for this. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, it's crazy because I think we put all the pressure on ourselves and, and we're putting the pressure more so than what society and what others may put on us because, um, and this, this has been something that I have had to learn um, and have struggled with is that there are younger generation, both at this point, men and women looking up to me and what I do and Tiffany and what she does. And that is scary for me. Um, knowing that someone is looking at me as a role model and I'm just trying to live my life and do a job that I love and do it at the best of my ability. And that's kind of scary, but it's become a good scary for me. That's really well said, Megan. Tiffany, follow up on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, thank you as well. And of course, Megan, I remember it was LaChina Robinson who put us, I think, in contact with one another and we shared emails back and forth and some phone calls as well. And so uh, shout out to you and what you're doing. And I'm excited to watch your growth because it's just like, you know, there are a lot of people who reach out and say, oh, I want to do this, and, you know, I have a passion for this. How do I get there? But very rarely do you see it kind of follow through to this point. And so that, to me, speaks to the type of uh, person that Megan is that, yes, she had talent, but she had that stick-to-itiveness as well to get to this point. And it's nice that, you know, I can look to someone else that looks, you know, you know similar to me as a woman of color, um, for her doing her thing because that's what you want to see, that it continues to grow and we continue to open doors. But the pressure piece of it, it's kind of like I look at it on Sunday mornings when you get ready to go to church, you know, my mom would dress us in our Sunday best. And whatever you do, you better not mess it up. You know, like you got to have the nice frilly socks and the pretty shoes, the bows and the hair, whatever you do. Don't mess up. Don't mess up the outfit. Don't run around too much. Don't drop any food on it because you just have to kind of be perfect. And that's really how I felt coming in. It's like, 
geez, I have to be perfect. But you understand that you're human uh, and you have to kind of drown out, or at least I've had to drown out just um, what I'm perceiving or uh, how much I allow the outside influences to affect me. And so it's nice um, now to kind of have have that shift where you hear athletes talk about this all the time. And Megan, I'm sure you've had this where you just don't let the moment get too big for you, right? You, you just be wherever your feet are and do the absolute best knowing that your preparation, um, you should, you should be able to stand behind that. And so um, just learning um, from athletes and, and, and coaches and the games that I call to just not let any moment get too big. And, you know, I am, believing to a degree that we are carrying, um, you know, a generation with us uh, and, and helping them to come up. But, you know, every call doesn't, you, you don't hang on to that every call. Like you don't put the pressure on that. It's, it's up to you this moment, this time, right now. Because uh, if not, you know, kind of drive yourself crazy with that. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Tiffany, I want to stick with you, and um, I think listeners will be interested in uh, in your professional journey, how you ultimately landed um, at the job you did. So let's start in um, you know let's start in college, where you went to college, and then take us from there uh, to how you ultimately ended up working for ESPN. Yeah, proud graduate of Florida A and M University, fourth generation, so it was in my blood, and I started out as a part-time production assistant with a startup station here in Tampa. I had applied for a bigger job, but clearly <laughs> my uh, college experience wasn't going to be enough. And then I took a one-man band position uh, in Savannah, Georgia, and that was my first on-air experience. But for the first three months, I was a photographer, right? So a live certified live truck operator. I was, you know, shooting stories for other reporters, just hoping and waiting for my chance. And um, so I spent about three and a half years there, general assignment reporter. So I felt like I paid my dues through the um, you know local side of things. Then was able to move to Orlando, Florida, work with News 13. They then opened up an arm, uh, 24-hour sports network called Bright House Sports Network. And it was there that I really felt like I began to fly. Uh, my career began to blossom because I got to do so much more. First of all, I was covering sports. Hallelujah. I had been waiting for that moment <laughs> for, for nearly a decade. And then uh, I did play-by-play, sideline. I could produce. I could host and anchor literally anything that they needed me to do. I felt like I'd learned to be versatile enough to be able to do those things and kind of started knocking at the door of ESPN with the relationship that I tried to build over time and through the National Association of Black Journalists and going to their annual conventions. And they had the ESPN Wide World of Sports there. I started doing like small tournaments, AAU, basketball tournaments, softball classics, 
you name it, Pop Warner uh, football championships, and then uh, was able to do a little bit more for ESPN3 for college football sideline. I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to make it. Like, this is it. This is like 13 years in the making. Like, let's go. Um, but it was actually Fox Sports 1 and a former executive there who saw my work at an NABJ conference and gave me the opportunity to do play-by-play for their inaugural women's basketball package for the Big East. And there uh, I got my, my, my big step, my, my, my bright lights and big stage and uh, continued to, to grow from there. And in 2015, ESPN brought me on full-time to be able to call um, basketball, volleyball, softball, and just added football a couple seasons ago. That's awesome. Who was the Fox executive who gave you that shot? Roy Hamilton. Shout out to Roy Hamilton, and thank you. <laughs> and there are many who believed in me, but he, he was the one who, who let me do it on a national stage. Yeah, ultimately, you, it's great for people to believe in you, but it's really great if the people who believe in you actually have the ability to give you the assignment. Um, Megan, um, you, you have a, you're going to have a different background, of course, because um, you played college basketball, so you, you, my guess is that um, um, that may have led to um, so different uh, areas than others who you know traditionally went uh, – uh, without playing college athletics and broadcasting. So what, what's your journey from um, college to what you're doing today? Um, yeah, so for me, I actually, when I was in college, I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach um, and do that at the NBA and WBA level. So I didn't start out um, in broadcasting right away. Um, it wasn't until, you know, just, School wasn't always my thing, and um, the program, the fitness program I was in could be a strength and conditioning coach. It just wasn't working for me, Um, and my athletic director um, made a decision based on the fact that I didn't I didn't shut up (laughs) Um, and and said I was going to go into radio. Uh, I had two choices that I was sort of mulling between and, and couldn't really decide, and Time was of the essence um, when it came to uh, entering the application process for um, the programs. And in his office, um, the summer of 2006, seven, um, he looked me dead in my eyes and said, you don't shut up. You're going into radio. Um, And I will forever be grateful to Doug Fox for making that decision for me. Um, and we had, uh, I went to, had one of the best broadcasting programs in the country. Um, and part of that was getting on air reps right off the bat in the program versus having to just, you know, fake it and record it and then get critiqued on it. Um, and part of that was that we broadcasted the men's and women's basketball and volleyball games, um, home games. And as I said earlier, I would play. And then thankfully my coach, Denise Perrier would have a quick post game chat and I would shower really quickly, grab my notes and then go and be the analyst for the men's game. And, um, upon graduation in 2009, I, you know, was working retail like most college grads, um, and trying to figure out how I was going to 
get my first gig in the business and what I was going to do. Um, and a, a friend slash coworker actually got an alumni email from uh, the university she went to in my hometown, which is McMaster University, and they were looking for broadcasters for their radio station for their men's and women's basketball games. And she forwarded me the contact, and I reached out to him, who ended up being Jamie Tanant um, at CSMU. And I told him, like, hey, I I didn't graduate from here, but I would still love to come in for an audition. Um, I'm not sure if that matters to you. And he said it didn't, brought me in for an audition. And um, after a couple weeks, he let me know that I was going to join the broadcast. There was four of us that did it. and I started out as an analyst for the women's games. And um, a couple weeks into the season, um, for us doing the games, the gentleman who did the play-by-play, um, Dr. Don, he unfortunately fell ill. So uh, Jamie asked if I could fill in at play-by-play. And um, subsequently, unfortunately, Dr. Don uh, passed away. Um, and it was the shift that was unfortunate um, that happened, but for my career was a fortunate movement that happened because I fell in love with play-by-play after three games and I have not looked back. Um, It then led me to the National Basketball League of Canada and making history with that league. Um, It then led me to... um, making connections with some amazing people uh, that work at MLSE and cover the Toronto Raptors and um, Dwayne Watson, who became a very good friend and mentor to me, um, gave me the heads up that they were going to be going after um, the hopes of bringing in a G League team, then uh, the Development League team, um, to Toronto and to the Raptors. And let me know who I should speak to and that he thought I should go after it and see what they think. And um, I reached out to Aaron LaFontaine, who was the decision maker and the person in charge um, at NBA TV Canada and met with him, had my interviews, um, a grueling long process as Tiffany, I can imagine can attest to the interview process being Uh, very stressful. (laughs) Um, And I was offered the role um, as the first voice of the Raptors 905 in the um, NBA G League um, in the summertime. But the kicker was, is that um, they wanted to wait until all the broadcast information was going to be released, which as we all know, happens around, you know, September. Um, so I was given permission to tell my immediate family, but I couldn't tell anybody else. Um, I had to keep it a secret and it was one of the hardest secrets I've ever had to keep. Um, and you know, being able to see a team go from the ground up, um, and in their second season go on a run that was absolutely phenomenal, which was capped off with a G league title then a D-League title and seeing Pascal Siakam, Siakam excuse me, uh, being named the, the finals MVP and then to see where he is now. Um, 
is a time that I'm forever going to be grateful for. Um, and then being able to learn from one of the greatest players to play the game in Jerry Stackhouse um, as a head coach and learn from him, um, learn from the assistant coaches like A.J. Diggs, who's now with the New Orleans Pelicans alongside a WNBA great in Teresa Weatherspoon, um, learn from a guy who's with the Charlotte Hornets and part of Canada basketball and Nathaniel Mitchell um, and the coaching staff that they have had with the 905. Um, that then allowed me to do some radio and, and whatnot at TSN with doing pre and post game for the Toronto Raptors and covering an entire season of NBA coverage, um, which ultimately led me to being in Washington, D.C. right now. Um, a chance run-in in the back of house at the now Scotiabank Arena. To me, it will always be known as the Air Canada Centre, um, much like the Sky Dome, which will always be known as the Sky Dome to me, is known as the Rogers Centre, um, into a former Raptor and former Wizard um, and retired uh, pro player in Pops Mensabonsu, who is now the GM um, at the GoGo, and you know, running into him led to a a relationship that allowed me to you know pick his brain about being a professional scout and working in player personnel and understand why teams go after certain players that fit their system um, versus going after the best talent in you know a draft. Um, because that's always something I've pondered. Why, why do teams not take the best guy on the board versus taking the best guy that suits their system? Um, and I think the Spurs are one of the best teams in pro sports to attest to why they do that. Um, so to understand that from him um, and then, you know, fast forward now, oh gosh, um, I think it was summer league, summer league, two summer leagues ago, um, after learning to walk again, after having an Achilles rupture, <laughs> um, I had just began walking like three weeks prior to summer league. And I was rocking a wicked cane that my dad lent me um, in Las Vegas. And I ran into pucks again. Um, and he kind of let, let me know secretly that he was, uh, the new GM for the Capital City Go-Go. It hadn't been announced at the time yet. Um, and I kind of made a joke, um, but as as we all know, every joke has a bit of truth to it. Um, and I just kind of like said to him, like, hey, if you guys are looking for a broadcaster um, on the play-by-play side of things, like, let me know. I can send you my stuff um, if if you don't already have it. And he looked me dead in my eye and said, "Here's you've got my email in case you don't. Here's my card again. Um, send it to me and I'll pass it on and they can take it from there. Who knows if they have anybody? I don't know if they do. Um, fast forward, you know, later on in the summertime, heading into fall, I am in Washington, D.C., having a interview with my now bosses in Carrington Simons, Caitlin Mangum, and Zach Leonsis. Um, and, you know, just with all the experiences that I've had and, and the advice that I've given from people like Tiffany, um, like LaChina, Leo Routens, Paul Jones, um, Matt Devlin, and, you know, there's many people I could name, 
Um, but as you guys can tell from what my athletic director, Doug Fox, says, I like to talk. Um, so I won't bore you with the list of names, but just the amount of people that have had my back since day one um, and have en- empowered me and encouraged me to keep fighting, my- keep fighting for my dream. I went into that interview with the most confidence that I've ever had um, in my life, and that includes my playing career. Um, and I went in it with the mindset that this is my job to lose and nobody else is to take from me. And I am now in my second season with the Go-Go, and I had the absolute honor to call one of the most historic WNBA seasons in history that was capped off with the WNBA title for the Washington Mystics. Uh, I appreciate those those um, the two journeys there. That's re- that's that's really interesting, Tiffany. I want to get back to you, uh, Megan. Obviously, you can um, you you can answer this as well. You know, one of the things about um, any profession, but I think it really for the media for sure. It's it's a big part of it. Is you know you 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 need people to emulate you. If you see someone who uh, looks like you or reminds you of you in a position that you would like to um, be part of, um, there's something to reach for. I'm a white male. There's a million of me in the sports media. So it wasn't very hard to um, sort of see people who looked like me doing what I did. And subconsciously, it has to be sort of flowed into somebody's sort of ecosystem when you're young to think, okay, that's something I can do. So Tiffany, for you, and I know you mentioned Robin Roberts, the fact is there were not many um, uh, women of color, uh, in the sports media in, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties, uh, you know, Pam Oliver, obviously, uh, who's been on my podcast a number of times, um, uh, is someone who I think a lot of probably women of color could see on television and, and, and see that that possibility exists. You mentioned Robin Roberts before, but I wonder for you, like, was it Robin and what, what was it like to not have many, of those people in front of you where clearly for for others there's a million of those people well i didn't really ask the best question but i think you know where i'm going here yeah i mean i i feel like i said i wanted to play in the nfl i wanted to be the first woman in the nfl i thought i could be the first woman in the nba but i really was setting my sights on the nfl until uh my parents crushed that dream pretty quickly. I had a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. I was ready, like suited and booted. However, um, I think you just imagine yourself in the shoes of a Pat Summerall, right, or an Al Michaels. And I, I tried to copy what they were doing. You know, I tried to do it in their voice and their tone and talking, you know, my ear so I can hear it just so I could have some form of practice. But who really made me feel like it was possible was honestly Pam Oliver. For as much as I love Robin Roberts and saw her and just thought she was like the greatest and still do, it was Pam Oliver because I saw her at least on sidelines. So she at least made it (laughs) to the football game and was on the broadcast and did a phenomenal job. And it was really cool, too, that, yeah, we're both FAMU graduates, but I got a chance to meet her in college. So I was like, okay, not only do I see you on TV and have I seen you, you know, growing up, now I get to, like, touch you, ask you questions, like, fawn in your presence. This was one of those really cool meetups. And that, to me, helped to foster that idea, like, no, like, it's legit. I can do it. I was always kind of different, perhaps different from what my mom uh, had for me in her mind. So I, I kind of 
always believed that, you know, I could buck the system or I could walk in my, on my own path and be totally cool with that. Like none of my friends were really like loving sports. Like I was loving sports or video games or putting big league chew and fruit roll-ups in their mouth and practicing batting stances for the Chicago Cubs, which is my favorite team. Like my friends weren't doing that. And I was okay with being different in that regard because I had like this burning desire in me to do something different. And I think also what helped me was my father, right? So my father was in television well before I was born or could actually see him. And then he moved over to radio, but he too was a first and his encouragement just along the way, like, okay, so you're a young African-American woman. That's great. Go get the interview. (laughs) Uh, Go set up this story. Write a letter to the editor if you have a feeling about, you know, the offense or defense that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers should run if you're 10 years old. Give your opinion. Get involved. And um, so there were a lot of different forces um, that helped kind of shape and and, and form me into who I am today. But I, I think I just saw myself um, I just had this, 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 this goal ahead of me. And I was just like, just like we all are in a, in a sense and how we are being successful and getting the story or, um, you know, doing our jobs, whatever it takes to get it done. Like I'm just trying to get it done. And thankfully now, even though, um, I talk about Pam and Robin Roberts, I can also speak to now saying that people like Megan or Maria Taylor or LaChina Robinson or Jamel Hill, Beth Moens, um, now it's, it's cool because there are many women um, and women of color for young people to, to, to choose from and to, to look at and say, okay, I kind of want to be like her. Now, do I feel like there needs to be more? Absolutely. But at least I feel like uh, we've gotten to a greater start, and I'm glad to be a part of that wave. Pam Oliver's first job, agriculture reporter, WALB TV in an Albany, Georgia. Albany, um, Georgia. The Benny. Albany, Georgia. That's right. <laughs> uh, Megan, now you obviously you grew up in Canada, so um, the the um, some of my listeners might not know if there was a uh, if there were broadcasters for you um, who you sort of felt like you can touch and be like. Uh, but I am curious if you had. If there were some, some, if there were similar people for you, the way they were for Tiffany. Yeah. So um, I think for me, it's like you said, Richard. Growing up in Canada, it's it's completely different. Um, even like today, the broadcast rights are very different. Um, and unless you have access to getting ESPN um, or TNT not so legal <laughs> um, in Canada, you, we didn't see anybody. Um, it was only when the national games would be on Canadian television. Um, so I grew up on Jerry Howarth, who was the longtime voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. I grew up on Chuck Swirsky, who was the longtime voice of the Raptors. Um, and Matt Devlin, Paul Jones. Um, for me, being in Canada, it was all males. 
um, which is very interesting. And, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of jealous in a way or envious of today's generation um, because you now have things like NBA League Pass where you can see the different faces and genders of people covering sports leagues. Um, and for me, the NBA, where when I was growing up, that didn't exist. Um, and like I said earlier, I wanted to be the Canadian Doris Burke because that was that was the only woman that we really saw touching the NBA and covering the NBA. So that was all I knew. Um, I, I unfortunately didn't get to see the time when Hannah Storm was covering the NBA um, as closely as she was. I only knew her as the Hannah Storm that was on SportsCenter um, and whatnot. And same with, you know, Robin Roberts. It wasn't until she was anchoring SportsCenter and stuff like that that I saw Robin Roberts. Um, so I was in a different position than, you know, than Tiffany and, and today's generation where you have access to all these faces so for me, it was waiting until those national games come on when I got to see Doris. Um, and just, you know, the way that she had, and she still today, garners the respect. And I would say this about Pam Oliver and Lisa Salters as well, because those are probably, um, in my opinion at least, for whatever that's worth, three women that can walk into a men's locker room and everyone stops because they have the utmost respect for them and the way that they cover the game, um, whether it's basketball or football. Um, and I look at a woman like Doris who, for whatever reason, and I will never understand this, is scrutinized night in and night out by society because she may not be the person that they want to look at on TV. But when you can walk into a room and people like Adam Silver, the late David Stern, LeBron James, Greg Popovich, Mike Krzyzewski, the late, and this is crazy that I have to even say this now, the late Kobe Bryant, will pick your brain about the game of basketball. I hope that I can have a type of career that I can have a quarter of the respect that the players and coaches around the game of basketball, both men's and women show to a woman like Doris Burke. And for me, that's why I always wanted to be the Canadian Doris Burke. Tiffany, um, in your observation and experience, how much racism or sexism, um, or inequality exists today in the sports media? I'm thinking about that one because I remember like my first season of calling college football. It was before I got the HBCU package and we were just trying things out. And I went to a school in Alabama and I think the crew was shocked to know that I was the play-by-play announcer and, and, and not someone who was, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was just the commentary, like, who, what? It, 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 there was a, a lack of respect immediately uh, when I walked up or, you know, they kind of just didn't want to work with me. And I don't know if that was because I was, 
a woman or because I was a woman of color or they just didn't know me. I, I don't know what it was, but I was just like, oh, that didn't feel good. Like, you know, everybody kind of comes on to a crew and, yeah, you see some new faces, but, hey, how's it going? And you, you kind of put on the facade and uh, they did not there. Um, but for the most part, I would say that uh, I, I certainly feel it subtly. I had an experience most recently with uh, a coach and I was asking about a player and her status uh, because she seemed to be healthy when we were watching her practice but had not played uh, in the last couple of games. And I said, well, can you tell me about her? And he was like, oh, she's a bitch. She's a bitch. And I was like, wait a minute, bruh, I just met you, okay? I don't know you. We don't know each other like that. Uh, I felt it highly inappropriate that he even referred to his player in that, uh, in that way. Uh, but then she was also an African-American uh, student athlete. And um, so I think sometimes it comes directly at you and sometimes, you know, you're, you're tested with situations where it's like, well, how are you going to react or how are you going to respond um, to, to those situations? So I, I try to, uh, uh, in my best way, address it, but I try to also, um, I, I, I try to not let it get to me. Uh, when I have experienced there are people that made like, you know, little snide remarks about, you know, what do you know about this? Or, you know, why are you here? <laughs> um, because if you do, then you'll kind of become consumed with it and it'll throw you off track. Well, at least I could say for myself, you know, kind of throw me off track a little bit. Um, I mean, it's there, it's real. Uh, and while I hope it will get better, um, it hasn't gone away yet that being racism uh, and inequality and discrimination. So, um, you know, you just try to operate within it and, and, and focus on what it is that you can control and check those things where you feel like it comes at you incorrectly. Uh, I'm sorry you've had to deal with that bullshit, but I, I do appreciate you um, you sharing that story with me. Uh, Megan, the same question for you, um, and that's in terms of just um, how much ra racism – uh, or how much inequality based on race or sexism uh, from your observation exists today in the sports media? I would, I would agree with, with Tiffany that it does still um, exist. And I, as of right now, and I really hope that I'm, I'm wrong and proven wrong down the road, but for some reason, part of me always believes that there will always be a piece of racism and sexism in the sports world, which is really disappointing to have to say that or to even be thinking that I can say that. Um, but if, if past behavior is an indicator of future behavior, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it'll change. Um, and like you, Richard, I, I, I'm terribly sorry that Tiffany, you've had to experience things like that. Um, for myself, it's more so come from social media um, and a social media standpoint. There was an incident when I was uh, back with the 905 in Toronto. Um, it was just a chance interaction that went left on side, uh, like went left on Twitter, excuse me. Um, and luckily the, the team security 
um, and, and team personnel had my back on how to handle it um, and what to do, and it was taken care of. Um, and that situation was sad because it's social media and people like to hide behind monitors. So based on the person's profile picture, I can only go off of that. And the sad thing about that interaction was that it was a man of color. If it was the person who it was in the picture, um, unless that person stole the picture, I don't know, but I can only go based off of the picture and the profile. Um, which was a, a man of color, which was very jarring um, that I was verbally attacked um, by someone in our own community. Um, I haven't experienced anything since then, luckily, um, but hearing stories like the one Tiffany just told us um, and stories from other people, I at least am equipped mentally on how to react and handle it. Um, and I'd like to think that the way my parents raised me um, and the person that I am would allow me to react properly um, in a situation if I was to ever experience it. And, you know, people... People like to think that in Canada that racism and sexism doesn't exist. Um, and for me, it's interesting when I hear that now living in the U.S. Um, and the climate, um, especially being in sports, it's so interesting. And, you know, I might catch flack for this, but I, I don't really care because I know that it's happened. Um, it's been evident on social media. I've had people tell me. I've had friends tell me. Um, and I like to say that, you know, racism, sexism does happen in Canada, that, you know, Can Canadians have this, this persona that we're polite um, and we're not mean. So for me, I like to just tell people like, yeah, it's there. We're just, we're just more passive aggressive and sneaky about it, which is really sad to say as a Canadian. Um, but it's true. There is racism. There is sexism um, in Canada. And you know, outside of that one incident, I'm thankful that I haven't had to experience it more. Um, and my heart breaks for people that do and are experiencing it because it's unfair and it shouldn't happen. Um, and like I said, I, I hope that sometime down the road, um, I can be proven wrong that there is no longer racism and sexism in the world of sports or just quite frankly in the world at all. Tiffany, um, what's been your uh, social media experience like? Uh, I know you're on Twitter. I don't know if you're on Facebook or Instagram, but what what's it been like for you? Yeah. So in order for me to try to stay out of fray, I I I kind of use it delicately. Like I am on Twitter, I am on Facebook and Instagram. I just opened up my Instagram uh within the last like year and I actually am not a heavy social media user. I know that it's a part of the process uh, for what we do, um, but <laughs> I, I don't actually like it all that much sometimes, and so I, I attempt to kind of stay away from it because naturally I have now been conditioned to pick up my phone and check for my messages or emails, and 
I will then go on to social media. And quite honestly, I, I don't want to welcome in um, any of that negativity. And I don't actually want to buy into too much of the, you know, oh, you're doing great. Um, so I actually am <laughs> probably old school in the social media realm. I, I kind of try to stay away a little bit. All right, a couple more for you guys. Um, I'll go back to you, uh, Megan. And Tiffany, I certainly want you to answer this as well because um, cause Megan, in fact, reached out to you. But, uh, Megan, how often do you hear from um, from women of color who um, are interested in getting into sports broadcasting? You know, it's kind of sad. I, I don't really hear from them that often. Um, and I don't know if that is because I do play-by-play and maybe they're not interested in play-by-play. They might be interested in hosting or um, being an analyst or doing sidelines. Um, Maybe it's because I primarily cover basketball and they might not be interested in that sport. Um, I can probably count in the last three years on – I'll say both hands, how many women of color um, who might be, you know, fresh into the sports market or are in college and university right now that have reached out to me um, for advice. And that's, that's kind of disappointing. Um, and I don't know if it's me. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's them. I don't know if, you know, they're just not as many women of color that are wanting to get into sports broadcasting. Um, and that's why I don't, I don't know what, what the reason may be, but um, I haven't had many reach out to me, which is, is kind of disappointing. I guess you could say. Tiffany, I'm going to guess that's a little different for you. Uh, one, I think you're a little, you're a little bit older than Megan. And two, um, again, just sort of anecdotally um, from talking to Pam, um, and I imagine Maria Taylor, because she's such a, she's become very high profile, gets a lot of this. I'm hoping that that's, a, you know, obviously what Megan's saying is a bummer. But my sense is that it might be different for you, especially because you're you're at ESPN. You're a little more visible there. Is uh, or am, am I correct or am I incorrect? Yeah, no, I, I would say that you're correct in that. And, and Megan, don't worry. We're going to change that. <laughs> we'll continue to start. <laughs> more young aspiring uh, women and women of color towards you uh, because I would say on a weekly basis I could count I'd have to I need more hands and toes uh, to count the number of you know both young women and men um, who are interested in getting into the business particularly of color Um, and I think that is perhaps you know based on who I'm with in ESPN, but also I like to be involved and remain involved uh, with my J school back at FAMU, uh, community uh, organizations here, uh, my sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, the Lynx Incorporated, and they all have, you know, some form of youth groups. And what happens is based on, you know, I I am uh, one of those stories from Tampa 
who's kind of like a hometown success story. So, so many people have seen me grow up, and my parents laid an excellent foundation for me, and they too remain uh, involved in the community. And so they asked my parents to say, hey, you know, can we reach out to Tiffany or have this, you know, daughter or niece or cousin or this young lady that goes to my church, and they all funnel um you know, their inquiries to me. So I've had a little bit different of an experience, and I'm thankful for that. And then when I go out and do, um, you know, HBCU football, that's another kind of untapped market where that is an uncommon space. And for, you know, to have that interaction, to have been an HBCU grad and a woman in the space of sports, uh, a lot of people um, are, are... you know, requesting, hey, can I reach out? Will you look at my reel or, you know, my resume? So I, I, I go through resumes and reels or phone calls or um, email for projects as, you know, women of color um, that they're doing in school. I, I go through that on a, on a pretty consistent basis weekly, I would say. Hmm. All right. Well, that's good to hear, actually. It is. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, Megan. I'm telling you. <laughs> I, but I, I, I would agree. I think, you know, monumental sports entertainment is great, but I think because it is such a new, a new OTT platform um, and people don't see it as much unless you're in the DMV area, I, I would understand if it's because Tiffany has status at ESPN and, and and that type of connection that it wouldn't surprise me if that's why people reach out to her more than they would me. And I'm not offended by that in any way. I'm just glad that people are reaching out to someone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's coming, Megan. Don't worry. You, you got a lot of time in this business. Yeah, don't you worry. <laughs> All right. Two more here. We'll start with you, Megan. What is your favorite moment uh, so far that you've called as a play-by-play broadcaster and why? That's a that that is a tough one. Wow, um, I think I'm. It's probably I've got like two, but it's not an exact moment. Um, but I would say probably the two championship seasons that I've called, um, just being able to witness that from start to finish. And I'm going to give the recency bias to the Mystics um, because you know losing in the finals the year before and then having the determination to get right back there, but finish it the way they wanted to um, was absolutely insane. Um, But I think out of that is probably the fact that I got to call the first ever 50, 40, 90 for Elena Deladon, um, which added her to a list of eight other players Um, and her being the only female on that list. um, I'm, you know, like <laughs> it's it's it was insane um, to watch her do that in a season um, with a broken nose, <laughs> and then to find out that she continued to do it with some herniated discs in the finals. Um, but yeah, I would say that regular season and just start to finish what Coach Tebow and his staff did with that team, and what those women did on the floor from game one through the finals um, and being able to be the voice of that narrative um, because, you know, selfishly um, 
along with Ryan Rucco, my voice is going to be attached to that for, for history um, when it comes to the Mystics um, and that franchise and the history when it comes to Elena Deladon and, and getting her first 50, 40, 90 season. Um, and I'm going to be forever, forever grateful for that because I don't know if I'll be able to ever experience that again. What about you, Tiffany? I'm so happy you were able to go first on that one. Imagine <laughs> so I could sit here and roll through and think about what I've enjoyed. And I'm so bad with, like, the best or the number one. But I would say the Florida Classics um, over the last two years, and even though – you know, FAMU has come out on the wrong end of things. It's still such a personal game for me because I grew up attending the Florida Classic when it was here in Tampa. And then when it moved to Orlando, um, there's such a big buildup and lead up. So the coaches luncheons before uh, on that Friday and then the game itself, we added Black College Live, which is something I do with my partner, Jay Walker, on, on social and YouTube. And just trying to get over that hump every time I've called well, the last two times that I've called that game, it's ended in heartbreak, but I felt like I left everything out there. Like I just gave it my all. Now I was crushed both times, but I think it was great because it challenged me uh, as a broadcaster, right? Like, yes, uh, you have to be impartial and you want to put your, you know, Homerish ways aside, and, um, but I, I just felt like I gave everything that I could give in those games. And to me, that was incredibly satisfying. I would say an honorable mention, if I can, uh, just the experience from the Women's College World Series, right? So being out there in Oklahoma City, experience that entire atmosphere, that was the, you know, that's the biggest event that I've ever done. And so being able to step in as a day side reporter was awesome, but then also getting a chance to show even more of my personality on our seven innings podcast live show that was um, alongside the actual uh, championship series broadcast was so fun. So the fact that I got to go on television and eat wings and that I could get out and sing shiny from Moana and that be like totally okay uh, was also just one of those enjoyable times as a broadcaster. Nice. Uh, all right, let's finish on this. Um, Megan, um, where do you hope to be? professionally in 10 years from now? I hope to be the successor to Mike Breen and the voice of the NBA Finals. Uh, yeah, go big or go home, basically. Um, that's good. To hit up Doris Burke for, you know, maybe in <laughs> terms of talking to, the, talking to uh, ESPN ABC um, on that. What about you, Tiffany? Um, 10 years from now, what um, professionally, where do you hope to be? I would love to be calling uh, an NFL package weekly. Uh, I want to be, um, I want to be there. I want to be there. Well, listen uh, to you both. This was really, really great. Um, incredibly interesting and informative um, for me. Uh, as we uh, close here, let me give the, let me give the bio again, since I got props from you both. Okay. The last time. Wait, Megan can McPeak. we add some, some music, like a bed of music underneath there? Like Tiffany, this ain't ESPN. This is a low-budget operation. <laughs> music? What are you talking about? Megan McPeak is a play-by-play broadcaster for the Capital City Go-Go's, the G League affiliate for the Washington Wizards in 2018. 
I'm sorry, in October of 2018, and I should mention Calls the Wizards, uh, the Calls the Mystics, too. In October 2018, she became the first female play-by-play broadcaster in 30 years to call an NBA game, calling the Wizards and the Pistons for the Monumental Sports Network. Um, she's the first female play-by-play broadcaster in the National Basketball League of Canada, and if you listen to this podcast, obviously you've sort of gotten, I think, to know her and um, and her thoughts and goals much better. Tiffany Green is a play-by-play commentator for ESPN, does a number of sports fair. The worldwide leader, including uh, basketball, football, softball, and volleyball. She is the first African-American woman to serve as a play-by-play commentator for college football on a major network. Uh, Megan and Tiffany, I took a little bit of time to sort of get this set up, but I cannot thank you enough for making time to do this. I know you both have busy schedules, and um, but I, I think a lot of people are going to find this really interesting. So, um, So thank you so much today for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast, and nothing but the best of success to you both. Thank you, Richard. Really appreciate the opportunity to be on. Thank you, Richard. I I greatly appreciate it, and and thank you for allowing me to have a platform to say thank you, Tiffany. All right, back in the studio. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I thought Megan and Tiffany were incredibly honest, and um, and, uh, that's... um, It was really just a terrific interview, and hopefully uh, the people listening got something uh out of that and like i've said throughout that interview they are um they're just two pioneers when it comes to sports broadcasting if you like this kind of um topic or if you like this kind of conversation i should say head to the sports media with richard deitch page and uh leave us a five-star review uh give us a written review as well all that stuff is just immeasurably helpful and go down into the archives and see what you like uh whether it's covering Kobe Bryant with Howard Beck and Tim Kawakami. We had the producer of, uh, and director of the Super Bowl, Richie Zions and Rich Russo, sort of explaining how that works uh, in terms of putting on that kind of major production. Jalen Rose, Adam Amin, Jim Ross, now the voice of AEW. And uh, you know, just go down the list again. Um, this podcast uh, at this point has interviewed uh, many, many people that you either see on television or hear on audio or read digitally or in print and so uh, hopefully it's something you'll find something you like my thanks again to patrick antonetti thank you to uh, everybody at cadence 13 for supporting this podcast chris corker and spencer brown sean cherry and john mcdermott this is richard dutch we'll see you again on the sports media podcast